Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome back to the Reset Rebel podcast with me, Joe Yule. And I actually heard that exact phraseology coming out of the mouth of one of our previous podcast guests last night when I went to the Cinefest in Santillaria at the cinema in uh, my local village where I actually live in Ibiza Um, and that's what kind of made it more special for me was to actually be attending uh, a sort of film festival in my own hometown Um, so the film that I was watching was uh, called Born Balearic which um, featured one of our favourite podcast guests and DJs John Zatrincha so it kind of like documented his life on the island and how he kind of obviously you know set up shop playing at Zatrincha pretty much my favourite beach bar and venue on the whole island to go and like chill out get into some very barefoot dancing unpretentious relaxed vibes Um, and it was just like really beautiful to hear and sort of see him in action um, in his sort of natural habitat really which is of course um, in exactly that environment sort of floating in the sea wafting around doing his sort of morning commute to work down the beach And it kind of reminded me, um, that clip was actually when he was saying good morning, good evening, good night, whatever you are, was when he was um, talking on a a radio show on Sonica. He doesn't really say very much, John Satrinter. He's very understated, um, very kind of like the man who's behind the scenes, behind the decks. Yes, he's a very clear presence and someone that everybody knows. He's not the big showman when it comes to DJs. And that's obviously, I, I believe, really, why he's been humongously successful. I think it's beautiful um, for a man who has been, you know, DJing for as many years as he has on an island like this one, who doesn't really shout, you know, shout that kind of thing from the rooftops. So the documentary slash movie was incredible. I really, really, really enjoyed it. Um, the, the, the film prior to that that they showed was <laughs> kind of hilarious. You know, it had a Q&A with the director had all of the stars that were in the film, which was actually made by a German producer. Um, They came on at the end and, you know, they were all dressed up and looking incredible and gorgeous um, and ready to take the questions from the crowd um, like it was sort of Cannes or, you know, one of these really amazing film festivals like somewhere across in America. And no one really asked that many questions, Um, maybe like one or two people in the crowd. But it was just, you know, it was lovely to see people turning out and showing support and face for a a film festival in Ibiza. And I was like, there was actually the day before yesterday, um, a film that had a premiere, a a European premiere um, at the festival, which is a a film about plastics, um, all about the conspiracy of the plastic story. Um, And the fact that, you know, really, actually, a lot of plastic production is made by oil companies. Now, I don't know the ins and outs of this. This is just rumour that I heard from the person I went with to watch last night's movies. Um, Another podcast guest and friend of mine, Joanna Ruby. Um, I I just make so many friends through, through making this podcast. Kind of the number one reason I make it in lots of ways, just to meet really amazing, fascinating, brilliant people. So um, I do love doing this for lots of reasons. But anyway... um, it kind of reminded me um, this kind of barefoot, relaxed, happy-go-lucky, easygoing vibe that John Trincher, I think, encapsulates and really embodies as a kind of one of Ibiza's icons um, of my exact other favourite place in the world, which is India. 
Um, and I'm very, very, very happy. I think I talked about this on my very first podcast this year about this phase of being a little bit stuck and a little bit unable to really, you know, get my groove on this year um, at, the, at the start of the year. And I just everything changed this week. Um, and I just booked my flight to India. Come on, this journey. Well, get on which is something I just haven't been able to do or decide upon with dates for a really long time um, because we have a retreat there on the 17th to the 24th of March and I go every single year and this has like been the first year that I've actually spent time, real proper time, working, being um, and enjoying Ibiza winter. Um, and so it's been a very, very, very different start to the year because I'm always in Goa in January, always. Uh, for the last eight, nine years. And so it's been a kind of a weird thing to kind of acclimatise, I think, to just being here. Um, the shorter, darker days, lots of different variables. But I'm loving it. I really have absolutely loved it, but I'm not going to lie. I'm really looking forward uh, to flying off on the 9th of March. And I've got a whole week where I'm actually going to switch my phone off and go underground for like five, six days before the retreat starts. So I can really just get back into my body. I've done a lot of laptop work for the last two months. I'm working also. I've mentioned it before as a newsreader. I sit for 10, 12 hours a day. And I mean, hats off to anybody out there that does office work um, because I have not done a desk job for about nine years. And in the last well, since last August when I started this news reading role, I just, I found it really tough. I found it a struggle to adapt from a life of moving and kind of, yeah, just being very mobile for a living to sitting. Um, It's been a very tough transition and my bottom has expanded at a rate of knots. My thighs feel definitely bigger. My body feels Um, less loose and I feel tighter my shoulders and my neck and my just my whole upper structure is just not the way it used to be and I feel lethargic a lot of the time I drink more coffee a lot of the time I'm definitely more stressed out than I've ever been and I feel more lazy I've got less energy um I feel urges to do things which I never used to more than ever before Um, I think just because I just, I want to escape from this kind of digital staring at a screen kind of world. It's not my, it's not my natural habitat and I found it a struggle. So I didn't move to Ibiza, I guess, to, to live this kind of life in so many ways. But what I'm doing right now is a job I can actually do from anywhere in the world. So I'll do a little bit of an India Um, but primarily not and I just feel like it just really has made me understand fully what it is to work 9, 10, 11, 12 hours a day at a laptop and understand and appreciate and respect um, people that do do that full time and I know that I need this trip to India more than I've ever needed it and I've gone there in some pretty shonky states so I feel... um, yeah, just really grateful that I have this opportunity to go. And the reason is that I'm running a retreat with my business partner, Taran, um, who's also been on this podcast previously from Holy Cow Yoga and her amazing group and community of yoga um, students that live up in the north of England. So I'm so, so looking forward to spending time with them all again in one of my favourite parts of India in the north of Goa. 
So we're going to be hanging out there together as a crew um, at Mandala Goa, which is just a gorgeous, gorgeous spot, sort of in the jungle, really, um, right next to where I did my teacher training at Ashiana. Um, so it's going to just be, yeah, two practices a day. Um, I'm going to take some little silent meditation sunrise beach walks. Uh, the beach is very flat there. It's just a gorgeous place to get out in the morning time when the sun is rising and the fishermen are all out, um, either coming back from the day's fishing, which they do in the dark, um, and bringing their boats back in, um, or they're just sort of, you know, setting sail for the day to go and get whatever it is that they've been sent off to catch. And I just love that whole morning silent vibe that kind of exists in Goa. It's a magical, magical time of the morning to go for a walk on the beach. So yeah, that will be followed by morning yoga. We're going to be then hanging out on the beach in the daytime. Very limited schedule in the daytime. Just lots of free time to journal, catch a tan, have a snooze, read your book, take it easy, go for a swim. That's pretty much what I spend most of my days doing in Goa eating and drinking coconuts I feel like I'm choking to death here I made a very spicy dinner and it's kind of getting into my throat um and I just yeah just it's just magical magical time to just get away and down tools and just take some time and then about four or five o'clock as the sun begins to set we head back to the shala and do another evening practice which will be more restorative more flow based more relaxed little bit of meditation we're gonna have a kirtan night i've got some amazing musician friends there who do kirtan absolutely beautiful sacred chanting and song um, we've got a little night out dancing to the banyan tree in uh, arambol which is of course just down the road from mandrem one of my absolute favorite places in the world to hang out don't want to sleep there anymore I used to sort of like 10 years ago and then discovered the joys of Mandarin which is like the upgrade so you just get to hang out in this gorgeous environment in the jungle in Mandarin and then head down the road and go to Arambol where all the kind of like cool fun hippies hang out um, so we're going to go dancing we're going to go shopping to the night markets we're going to go out for some beautiful meals at Cafe New and um, La Plage in Ashfem. Um, there's some great restaurants and some brilliant places to go shopping, dancing, eating, walking, yogaring, all of my favorite things in the whole wide world to do. We're going to be doing in Goa. And there are two spots remaining. If you do wish to have a little breakaway in March, please, please, please do drop us a line. We'd love for you to join us in the magic sands of Goa um, in Mandrem on the 17th to the 24th of March. Um, and Angela Walker is today's uh, Ibiza Reset Rebel guest. I'm really happy to have her on today's show. She's a nutritionist. Um, she's just written a book. Um, she is also just about to start a very interesting course that's about sort of restoring neurological power through food um, and re-energizing the brain through our intake of nutritious you know, diet. And uh, I don't think enough attention is really put on that uh, by all of us. So I'm really looking forward to getting into that in today's episode of the Reset Rebel podcast. Don't go away. Reset Rebel. It's the Reset Rebel. It's the Reset Rebel. It's the Reset Rebel. So here we are, snuggled up on the sofa in siesta, 
gazing out to the bright blue skies. Um, it's a gorgeous, sunny Saturday, and I'm very, very delighted to be joined by Angela Walker. Hello, Joe. It's so lovely to have you here because um, we have been sort of talking about doing this for a really long time. You have been a little bit tied up. I've just just been a little bit busy. That's all. But I'm I've always wanted to to support your podcast. It's just I haven't had the space to do it until now. But I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> I think it's it's funny because you know I wouldn't say you're the reason. Oh, we've got a little doggy. A doggy looking very keen to join us here on the sofa. Maud. Maud. <laughs> In your bed. Um, I mean, we talked. I do believe it could quite possibly have been at your brother's wedding, who was our sort of um, vague connection before we moved to the island together. We talked about, you know, basically moving here. We both had this idea. It sort of resonated with both of us at that point and I never kind of really imagined that the day would come when we were both moved to Ibiza but we both made it happen so it's kind of it's feeling quite good to be sitting here on the sofa sort of having this conversation. Yeah I suppose I decided to move to Ibiza quite randomly um, quite there was not a great deal of kind of strategy behind it but I'd, I'd been living in London for about 17 years and I just felt like I'd had enough. I wanted out of London and nowhere was really calling me, nowhere was really attracting me. So I had, I always say I had the push, but no pull. And then I came to Ibiza for the first time in the summer of 2012. And um, that was it. I got, yeah, I got the call and it just seemed like a good idea and six months later I moved that was it was was it a good idea I think it's been I think we can say (laughs) affirmative (laughs) I mean it's not an easy place to live and I just remember kind of driving and you know driving from the airport and and coming to find you when I moved actually in um, March 2013 and I did actually come and stay with you for a couple of days before I found my very first apartment but I remember going to a yoga class from the airport um, with Arun in a life drawing studio with like pictures of naked people all over the walls. And then I came straight to you, dumped the car and a few little bags and off we went to the bar up the road and um, and had a few vinos to celebrate. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I think, I think there's always sort of a buzz of excitement of what, you know, the expectation, the excitement of moving to a new place. And then the reality quickly, quickly hits in. And moving here is, yeah, there's sort of some things that are kind of hard to get your head around and some things like the beautiful blue sky and the sea and the kind of the freedom and the easiness that, um, the easiness to the way of life versus a big city like London that, yeah, it has a universal appeal. What would you say the things that are hard to wrap your head around are just out of interest? Because I mean, everyone sees these wonderful pictures on Instagram and, you know, the magic of Ibiza is, is very obvious. But what, what is that underbelly of kind of like issues and little niggles, perhaps, you know, without getting all neggy uh, just to kick off? But just out of interest, like what are the sort of main challenges do you think that you faced? 
Um, well, I think sort of socially wise, it, it's like it's like a small village. Well, that's great. A small village is means you know you know you kind of recognise you know everybody, but there's also a downside to that. Like there's a you know limited amount of space, limited amount of people. Yeah, everyone kind of knows your business. So there's that, that side that can be a bit weird to get your head around, especially coming from a big city. And then there's just like the weird logistical admin of, um, yeah, of here. And I don't think it's necessarily Spain. I think there's something very like the weird logistics here that coming from an ordered, organised country and city in uh, Northern Europe can be quite a shock to the system. Oh, let's just call it a massive ball ache. <laughs> <laughs> or a massive ball ache. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. There's nothing like the wonderful paper pushing of Ibiza to uh, get you in a complete pickle. Um, yes. or going sort of running from pillar to post, trying to like fill out forms and get things done. And p- pillar to post, and then you have a special form that's got to be filled out and you take it to the place and then you find out that can only be done on a Tuesday between 10.30 and 12 o'clock. <laughs> and it's a Wednesday. <laughs> So yeah, there's that kind of thing, but you know, you get used to it. You you get used to that, and I always sort of say, well, that's that's my choice, and yeah, that's the price I pay, and it's the price I'm I'm willing to pay. There's definitely a gauntlet that sort of gets laid down when you arrive, and I think you know you're either gonna cross all of those little challenges and and you're in it to win it or you're basically just gonna bail because you're gonna be like look it's too difficult to get all of this stuff done and make it happen yeah and you've got I think that always comes down to like are you are you getting enough benefit like are the costs and the price of living here are they are they leaving you with enough benefit for you know choosing this life That's kind of like, that's an individual choice everyone has to make. I only have to look out of this window to feel and see the benefit of this beautiful, <laughs> literally stunningly, yeah, aqua blue sky. And it's just, <laughs> no, but you know, I was only talking to someone two minutes before I got here in Belgium who's like living in the drizzle and the grey and the damp and the cold. And I was like, yep, winning, hands down. It's like 20 degrees, it's January. It's been absolutely cooking for weeks on end, apart from a real ferocious storm that blew in a bit of gloria but apart from that it's been pretty heavenly in january well yeah yeah and i think that was so i remember somebody i met who was living here and i met when i was sort of making my move over here and visiting and and things she said oh it's the light it's the quality of light and i kind of thought that was one of those kooky weird things that you know certain people said and now i really understand what that quality of the light is and there's just a purity and a cl- clarity to the light here. And whenever I, because I travel a fair bit for work, so I'm often in Northern Europe. And yeah, there's like a sort of a, a darkness, kind of like an overcastness. Even when it's a clear day, it still doesn't have the same quality of light that you get here. So yeah, that's what I love. Uh, yeah, I wholly concur. I mean, yeah, you're 
penthouse, we'll call it, has a lot of light. We're surrounded by it. And I'm very lucky to have an apartment. Sea facing, again, beautiful blue skies and sunrises popping out of the ocean in the morning. And yeah, we're pretty blessed in that department. But I'm intrigued because you're one of the intelligent people that basically uh, works here, but you don't work for anyone on the island. Your work is based off the island, which is kind of what we're here to kind of talk about loosely today. And I think it's great that you've, you know, never had to rely on income from actually living in Ibiza because I think that's also one of the biggest challenges that you will make or have to face if you move here and you actually have to actually do a seasonal kind of job or rely on the kind of um, yeah the situation here which is um, quite challenging and difficult and flaky yes yeah no I'm I made quite a conscious decision that I didn't want to work on the island so when I moved here in 2013 I wasn't you know I'd been trained and qualified and fairly successful as a nutritionist for kind of five six years um I had a fair bit of work kind of settled I'd worked for myself since 2007 um you know my work was fairly well established and I could kind of transfer with that same work I put feelers out around working here you know it was interesting but I didn't feel like it really I didn't need to do it and it wasn't challenging me professionally so I've just kind of carried on with things as they are and I as a most of my work is all of my work is is off the island sometimes I'm physically traveling to give workshops and and so on and sometimes I'm kind of speaking to clients over over Skype and telephone. So what kind of took you from being a, a London ad exec to living in Ibiza and being a nutritionist what's what was the you know the moment where you decided to make this massive change okay so yeah I went into I got into advertising kind of in the late 90s um, I kind of went in straight after my graduate training job and I loved it it was a great industry it was really fun to work in and then it, you know, and I did pretty well in it. And then I was sort of looking at how I was going to develop and evolve. And um, the agency I worked for brought this new woman on board. And my boss at the time said, like, "Hey, I want really think you should meet her and get get connected to her and like hold on to her coattails. She'll take you places." And I met her, and I thought that's what it takes to get ahead in advertising I'm out of here (laughs) she was really just not an inspiring person for the ethics and how I kind of wanted to live my life so I realized I needed to make a move and I wanted to find something that I really felt I gave a shit about because at the end of the day while advertising was a fun career it wasn't it wasn't like my calling in life like selling getting people to buy more toffee crisp bars it was really or you know more body form panty liners I mean that was just not it was not my calling a velvet toilet tissue <laughs> that was another I see one a, a theme developing here yeah, there was a big theme one I was proud of was EasyJet EasyJet we we did their first TV ad but um, yeah, it was. I just realised that it wasn't. It's not, nothing there that I felt passionate about, 
And what I had always been interested in was how what you eat kind of affected how you felt. So I'd kind of experimented with different diets and what struck me about all of them was the kind of like the clarity of mind and then the, the change in the way that I thought that came about from all of those. And I guess if I'm honest, I realised that for most of my 20s and 30s, I'd been, you know, pretty low-grade kind of depression, you know, had just had really wobbly mental health in that respect. So a friend of mine had been doing this nutrition course and she was coming back with all this, like, fascinating weird stuff like lesser thin granules and um linseeds and all these kind of weird things and got me trying them all and that just inspired me then I looked further into it could I you know what if I went and studied nutrition and that was it I just took a leap of faith and for four years I did a I completed it took me four years to complete a nutrition degree which I did majority of time while I was working full-time so I was kind of yeah, it was really intense, but I loved the top. I loved the topic and I loved the subject, and yeah, I was just really inspired by it. And before I'd, I'd actually gone to see this old Ayurvedic doctor who'd kind of got me again, got me on this program and got me on this nutrition plan, and it, it wasn't a very well thought out nutrition plan, but I was like dogged and determined, and I followed it through. And it just made me feel, suddenly I had this clarity of thought, suddenly like, it was like the light had lifted and I was like, this is what I want to do. So, yeah. How, I mean, how intrinsic to thought process and food, you know, how strong is that link? It's solid. It's so, like, it's everything. And I think, I just, I wish we, I wish we kind of like understood, I wish more people understood this more because what we eat completely changes the chemistry and the chemicals that are running around in your body and what is our thought processes what is kind of our cognitive health well it's all to do with the chemicals that are firing in your brain and like what you eat affects how they fire and how they work so it's really it's really profound yeah I mean, I know that you're not doing so much one-to-one or really any one-to-one work now, but you, we're going to talk about some, some work that you're about to start up soon. But what, what was the kind of work that you were doing when you first got to the island via sort of Skype meetings right, okay. with? What kind of patients were you working with? So I, um, I was very lucky kind of back in about 2011, 2000, yeah, about 2011, I started working with a really well-established clinic called the Optum Health Clinic, who based in London um, but kind of work internationally and are one of the only integrated clinics in the UK you know it's an integrated nutrition and um, kind of talking therapy as well and they specifically work with people with chronic fatigue so we did it really taught me to specialize and to deepen the knowledge of what it is what is chronic fatigue and it's basically it's a classic case of where someone's psychology is kind of interrelated with the physiology of how their body is functioning and and one or both sides start to break down and then they kind of need to slowly rebuild on both kind of parameters both both physiologically and and psychologically and that's that was what we did um so I was you know I was working it it's fascinating work but it's you know it's also quite tough work because those people are really struggling 
and they need an awful lot of support yeah but did you obviously have some massive breakthroughs during that period yeah yeah I mean you've got you know you're you're seeing people who they go from a life-changing event so they go from you know having a very limited restricted quality of life to getting back out in the world again maybe restarting studies again finishing their career finishing their degrees getting ahead with their you know just getting on with their life and I think you know that's that was always a fabulous and and it's a privilege to be kind of associated with that and to and to see them and to witness them going through that tune your strings and play your cards so what made you give up the client client work um the client work is the client work is it's tough it takes it really takes its toll on the practitioner and you know I really encourage all practitioners to kind of do a phase of the clinical work but it's very difficult to keep your boundaries and you know I was somebody who just got I couldn't I found it difficult to kind of leave my client problems at the end of the day I found you know that I would feel I would be taking them on board and I'd be taking yeah all their all their troubles and sort of be like, it was difficult to switch off, mm-hmm. difficult to switch off from it. And at the same time, I was starting to do um, a lot of corporate work. I was working with an organization called Tignum, um, who really do fascinating work because they're going into organizations and they're working with the leaders and the executives and kind of working on how do we, how do we help people become, be more impactful so again, it was going much broader. I got involved as a nutritionist. So what was the role of nutrition in brain function and in how you sustain your energy through the day? And how do you make it very practical for somebody who is, you know, an executive and working a very demanding job? Um, but also going much broader than that. So looking at mindset, looking at the recovery, looking at movement. And so that that was a fantastic opportunity for me because it allowed me to kind of broaden my skill set and my knowledge base. And, and I've really, yeah, I've really enjoyed that work. How do you keep someone energized then who's sort of sitting at in an office all day and is highly stressed out? Yeah, well, you've got to get them to look at what are the you've got to start with the awareness. So to be to to have the awareness that their habits are kind of creating that and often their thinking is kind of creating that. So it's just it's making them aware of that and then getting them that leads to kind of curiosity and openness to well what if I try these three things I start to see a difference you know I start to drink more water I start to take five minute breaks two or three times of the day I start to walk more which gets oxygen and gets you know things moving around the uh, around the body I start to change what I'm eating so that I've got more of a steady supply of, of fuel to my to my brain and my mitochondria you know the energy production units in the in the body so it's just like doing the small things and understanding how they're impacting and then seeing that impact and kind of building from that I love this word that seems to be quite popular at the moment the mitochondria tell us a little bit more about what that actually is because it's a great word <laughs> mitochondria 
Um, so mitochondria are like there's there's numerous mitochondria in every cell of your body, and the mitochondria is basically like an energy. It's like a power station. So it takes in fuel and it produces the energy currency of the body. So the energy currency is called ATP, and it's it, it's like it's like the the oil or the gasoline that your body runs on. So all the food that we eat, whether it's fats, whether it's carbohydrates, they get converted can convert protein but you ideally don't want to be doing that that gets converted through the mitochondria or inside the cell it gets converted into ATP and so what are your thoughts on sort of like intermittent fasting I guess to, as a maybe a way of getting like your energy back so there's a lot of people yeah. that I know not just on this island but everywhere <laughs> seem to be banging into intermittent, intermittent fasting at the moment me included yeah yeah so it, it's kind of like it's it's interesting in nutrition because nutrition is such a it's such a hot topic like compared to when I got involved with it back in kind of 2004 when I started training like it wasn't it wasn't a very kind of hot topic it wasn't in a lot of it wasn't in newspapers and magazines and on the internet and all over the place whereas now like there's constantly like here's the new thing here's the latest thing and the thing is like all of these things have got a whole grain of truth in them but they're not like the magical answer so honestly if I look at the bigger picture intermittent fasting there's a lot of truth and a lot of validity in it it's the idea that we need to not eat for sustained periods of time and like condense when you are eating and the thing is if you look back and look at how our habits have changed like over the last 50 or 70 years we, as we got busier and busier and busier and we got more and more kind of connected through the internet, we, we started to, we were extending our days and we were, it, you know, it was common to, for somebody to get up very early in the morning, to eat something early in the morning and then to have the last thing that they ate at night to be, you know, I don't know, snacks or something just before bed. Like that's a common habit that lots of people are doing. So it means that your overnight fast has gone from being 12 hours to being maybe five, six, seven hours. Like that's common with, with people's habits, people's lifestyles. And the human body isn't designed to do that. Like I would say the, the word breakfast in English and Spanish and French, it means breaking the fast, but your fast has to be at least 12 hours. So if you've had a midnight snack and then you get up at six in the morning, like that was no fast. There was no breaking the fast. Or even a glass of wine takes you out even of the fast. Gla- yeah. So exactly. We've we've got all we're consuming all these calories right late in the evening and then first thing in the morning. So intermittent fasting this rec- has has kind of brought shone a light back on the fact that you the human body is designed to have these big long periods when it doesn't eat like it needs those we're not cows or horses that graze and that's how their bodies are designed to work so i think that's that's why such a big interest has sort of been been thrown on it and why so many people see benefit from it it's kind of just because they're going back to how their body was meant to work rather than anything magical about intermittent fasting um, but it's definitely something I, I, I encourage people, I like I make it kind of a rule, I don't have many rules, but you should you need to have a 12 hour overnight fast every single night. Like, that's kind of standard. 
And then what I practice is two or three times a week, I extend that fast to maybe 14, 16 hours. So I, the way I do that, we live in Spain, obviously eating kind of relatively late. So I just skip breakfast and, and go through to lunch. And what, I mean, yeah, I, I think intermittent fasting is the, the number one tool that personally I find gives me wings like it just gives me my energy back uh, and I'll just have like a black coffee in the morning and I'll yeah. go to the gym and then I'll come home and then eat you know a late lunch or a late brunch or whatever but I think um, personally for me fasting is actually one of my great great go-to's when I need a full reset but I don't think it works for everyone and you know I think it's probably, I don't know, I don't, I'm quoting completely incorrectly, it's like about 70% of the body's energy is taken up digesting food. So when you stop doing that, the body has time to attend to all of the other business and healing that's going on that, you know, it doesn't have the opportunity to when you're eating. Yeah, yeah. No, for certainly, like, your digestive system uses a lot of energy to, to process that food. Like... As to whether people are going to benefit or not from, you know, I would call an extended fasting period being like 24 hours or, or longer. And it will really depend on whether that person has got the metabolic switch, whether they can start, they can switch to burning fat efficiently or not. Um, and whether they've got sufficient stores of, of, of fat, because, you know, again, your body needs to run on something. If you're not eating, it's got to find its fuel from somewhere. So either it's going to be breaking down kind of stored energy in the form of fat and, you know, carbohydrate storage, which will kind of go after about 24 hours. Um, and that's, yeah, th there's definitely advantage to getting it into that kind of mode but the rate at which that's going to happen and the side effects of that will vary by person. So, I think it's interesting as well that, you know, probably through the course of your time doing nutrition, you know, that carbs have just become this like enemy. And I, I understand the possibility that processed carbs like, you know, rubbishy, cheap, nasty bread or, you know, cereal bars or whatever that aren't good, full of sugar, whatever. Perhaps those kinds of carbs and not really the ones that we should be eating. But basically, I mean, everybody really seems to be kind of keto these days, which obviously yeah. led on from this whole Atkins thing that came up, what, yeah. maybe 20 years ago now? Well, Atkins was not a ketogenic diet. Atkins was high-protein diet. A ketogenic diet is actually mod very modest or light-protein, but high-fat. Um, yeah, the the keto diet look there are there are medical situations where the keto diet seems to be very effective like can help resolve epilepsy in some people but if i look at how it's used more in kind of energy or or health optimization or you know longevity it is not designed as a long term diet because the one thing we know categorically is that for health and longevity, you need this very diverse bacteria in your gut. So in order for that to happen, you need a lot of fiber in your diet. Most ketogenic diets are very low in fiber because the high fat foods that they come with don't contain fiber. They're low in carbohydrates, which also carries fiber. So they're not, they might be a quick fix 
the ketogenic diet might be a quick fix, but it's not a long-term diet. So the you know the online program I've I've written and produced for um, for brain function. I don't have a ketogenic diet and I, I do a, a, a video on that. I do a section on that because I know most people would expect kind of like a brain program to be, to have some, you know, to be a ketogenic diet, but it's not, this is an example of where it's like a little bit of information gets, gets taken the wrong way. And before you know it, it's that you've got a fad diet that is not right for everybody. It's not a sustainable way for everyone to to work I've used a ketogenic diet and I found I feel great on it for about seven days but then I'm bored with my food (laughs) and I'm struggling and you know knowing what the bigger picture is like I I don't stay on it for for longer so short term is a great one to maybe boost some energy great as a boost um it can it can be very good at getting that metabolic switch because we want that flexibility for our bodies to be able to burn glucose and then switch to burning fat. Now the thing is, if you're constantly feeding them carbohydrates, however good the carbohydrates are, but if you're constantly doing that, and so you're eating this very you know all the time, you're grazing rather than having a, a daily fast, your body never gets challenged to do that metabolic switch and to start burning fat so doing a burst like a a sprint of a ketogenic diet can be great to like flip that switch and get that keep that keep that switch finely tuned let's talk about gut health because obviously you know you talked about sort of maybe hitting the skids a bit in your 20s and 30s and you know maybe if you'd known then what you know now I mean that probably maybe part of all of that was potentially to do with you know what you were eating but you maybe didn't really have that knowledge back then totally totally well the the reason I went to this Ayurvedic doctor was the yoga studio I used to go to there was a massage like an Ayurvedic massage kind of on offer there so I had one and the masseuse who was kind of trained in Ayurvedic system if you like she said I can feel something in your stomach you should go and see the Ayurvedic doctor so you know that piqued my curiosity and that was kind of what you know that was that got me started I guess on this whole journey with nutrition I mean what it is the hot topic in health and medicine at the moment the microbiome so all the drug companies are looking at how their medicines will be how their how their medicines will get processed by individuals depending on the microbiome depending on the bacteria in your gut it influences everything and that is the that is the quickest thing that we can we have control over by what we eat by our lifestyles so like your your microbiome the, the bacteria in your gut like that whole body of bacteria it acts like a whole organ, a whole organ system in your body. It's like as active as your liver or as active as your brain, you know, a whole organ in your body. And the quality of it is purely driven by what you ate, what you drank, when you ate it, when you drank it, whether you're rested, whether you're stressed out, like those things directly influence your microbiome. So for sure it affects your mental health. I mean, there's, 
heaps of studies that have shown that, show the connection and show how that connection can be leveraged by changing your microbiome. What's the number one thing you can do to keep a healthy gut if you really want to change the game sharpish? Fibre, fibre and phytonutrients. So the the fibre comes from the the types of foods that you're eating, so high fibre foods. The phytonutrients comes from the variety and the colour of the foods that you're eating. So getting lots of different colour in the vegetables and the fruits. So, you know, people might be eating what they think is a great diet, but they're eating the same thing day in, day out. So that lack of diversity can mean you've got quite a narrow diversity in your microbiome. And then the third thing is the ferments. So all the, like, whether it's fermented food or drinks, like I love kombucha, um, you know, you get great sauerkraut, you get great kimchi now. And these things, it's exciting that you see these things kind of appearing more in the shops, appearing more in the supermarkets, appearing more on menus. You know, I know we live in a place where those things are super popular, but, you know, they are growing in popularity in kind of other places that I travel to as well. I mean, it's not rocket science when I've been eating brown foods for days on end, which doesn't happen very often, but when it does... I just feel miserable, like yeah. immediately, like it is just so instantaneous. It's so obvious that my diet has completely and utterly thrown my head off track. And that's just, you know, just so clear that those two things are so intrinsically linked. And it's your, what, you, what you've eaten has directly affected the bacteria, like the type of bacteria, the quantity, the the types that are growing, and then those bacteria talk to your brain. Like there's direct communication from your brain. So like now we're understanding the microbiome a lot more. We've got this kind of like, it's just a clear, it's a really clear pattern and it really explains why changes in your diet kind of have quite an instantaneous change. It's not, it's not, you know, the longer term changes, yes, they happen, you know, they help us bring down our cholesterol or bring down our heart rate or bring down our blood pressure. But they take, you know, weeks or months to happen. But the kind of feeling stuff is happening immediately in a you know, matter of hours, sometimes minutes from this microbiome and how it affects your brain chemistry. So cool. So geeky, but it's so cool. <laughs> I love the fact that you're a nutritional geek. It's um, it's it's you know, it's great to talk to you and to see that this stuff completely lights you I'm up. A geek, yes, I'm proud of being a geek. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> I mean, the reason that this podcast got put a little bit on the back burner was that you've just finished writing a book, which has just been published. Yeah, yeah. So the book, um, the book is like a proper geek book. It's like a textbook. It's a textbook. And I'm really proud of it because it's going to be, it's, it's already on the recommended reading list for like three of the, college, the main colleges that teach nutritional therapy in the UK. Um, people in the US already putting it on the recommended list. So, you know, it's like properly being recognised and seen. And it is a series of case studies all about this kind of personalised nutrition. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm super proud of it. If someone wanted to, to follow the path that you have taken, who, which course would you recommend that they would go and do? <laughs> um, I think the best course in the UK at the moment is at CNELM um, uh, with Kate Neal. And uh, she's, she's like 
she's a she's a hero of mine she was a peer reviewer in my book uh, I personally think they have the best thorough most complete course for nutritional therapists but it's also a field where you've got to kind of take responsibility for your own training and your own education and and like constantly keep keep training and keep and keep studying I think also some a lot of the nutritional coaching courses that come out of the US um, I've got quite a few friends who've done those and I think they're they're pretty thorough they maybe don't go as deep as the nutritional therapy courses in the UK but I think they're they're pretty good as well and let's get on to this course that you're offering as well because we've talked about this kind of connection between food and thoughts and the way we kind of you know emotionally process what's going on in our digestive system so what about what's going on in our brains and our actual ability to stay sharp which I'm really struggling personally with (laughs) right about now I'm not gonna lie it's been going on for a while so I'm I'm really intrigued to hear more take it personally (laughs) no 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 I'm uh, like this with everyone Uh, you say the nicest things. Um, so, yeah, so I, I wanted to I wanted to create something like an online course and I wanted to do it in the area of, of brain health because I think that's, it's something that I've studied a lot. It's something that I know I, it's where a lot of my skills kind of intersect. And I trained with the Institute of Functional Medicine in, in the US and with Dale Bredesen, who's um, kind of like been a pioneer of how do, you, how do we reverse cognitive decline so Alzheimer's and dementia but I wanted to produce something that was really talking more about prevention so you know the kind of how do we people who are recognizing that their memory is slipping or they just got brain fog and they just don't feel like they've got that sharpness like what can they do to conserve it so it's an eight-week course and it's like it's delivered through um videos and online content like there's there's workbooks to download there's information to read but there's also kind of challenges to do each week kind of tracking things or monitoring things and um yeah i'm i'm excited about it (laughs) because i'm a geek (laughs) i actually really want to go on it i mean you know what what do you think that the outcome like do you think there's going to be a massive shift in eight weeks so um if people are following this then yeah there's there is going to be a shift like as to how much it is it really depends on where people are when they when they start out and what I mean by this being a personalized approach is first of all what I need to eat is going to be different from what you need to eat because we you know we're all biochemically unique but also the approach to how I want to make changes might be very different to yours some people love to be told like exactly just give me a meal plan I'll follow it like I love that some people really rebel against that kind of (laughs) discipline I suspect you would um (laughs) and, and so you know they they need to have just more of a one step at a time and then they see the benefit and so then they're inspired to do other things and I think that's a really key part of what is personalized nutrition that it's how you deliver that information has to be tailored to the individual so that's what I've tried to cover with this course is is kind of delivering giving the options to deliver the information uh, deliver the changes kind of in in whatever way works for you so I've done that through kind of storytelling and scenario planning and just different archetypes that that I've kind of presented through the course so so yeah it's kind of been a labor of love 
So the people I've shown it to, like my peers who I've shown it to, are like super impressed. Um, so now we need to see whether <laughs> the consumers are impressed. Eek. Well, I don't think it's about being impressed, <laughs> is it? It's about a journey. It's about and I hate that word, journey, but you know, it gets overused in the healing world. But I do feel like this would be a great journey to go on, particularly if you are, you know, feeling a little bit dulled in the senses. And yeah. I know, I, you know, I'm just not firing in all cylinders at the moment. I think it could be to do with the damp in my apartment and the fact that I well, need a, a dehumidifier yes. ASAP because the other problem about living in Ibiza in the winter is that basically everything goes mouldy. Well, yeah, everything does go mouldy. Mould is kind of in the biotoxins category. So, like, it can be a major problem for some people. Is it going to be a problem for everyone? No, but that depends on you individually. So some people will have genes that just really process those kind of things, those kind of toxins really easily, but some people don't. Um, So, yeah, it is one of the downsides. But I have proven my theory that is just because most of the buildings in Ibiza are not properly made. And that's why they get damp. Because I have no damp problems in my new apartment. Mm. I was told that I have anti-damp in one of my walls. And one of them is in my bedroom, like right by my bed. Yeah. But my pillows are wet every single morning. I wake up with wet pillows. Yeah, that's, that's really not good. Well, I've taken um, handbags out of my wardrobe and they are green. Yeah. I'm having to seriously demold most of my stuff right now. It's really smelly as well. Fire. You do. <laughs> I, I, I know but every time I go to the shop to buy one they're like 300 pounds and I'm like mm, no. maybe I'll just see one more day if I can no. solve it another way but I've not been successful I think so there's an example of where a lot of kind of generic nutrition or health information can say oh like damp is a big problem like does it affect everybody well it's not going to be great for everybody but it's going to affect people to varying degrees because we're all unique and you've got to look at each situation and go is that an issue for you well yeah it could be affecting if you're la- if your kind of downturn in your cognitive function has happened at the same time as you've increased the mold exposure yeah it's likely to be a factor I mean, there's just absolutely no denying that those two things are linked so I have felt very foggy and very yeah cognitively challenged if that's a thing um it since thing. this has uh, <laughs> popped up and now we're talking about cognitive yeah. you know um function i'm very interested in doing your course actually as it happens when's it when's it starting it starts on the 25th of february um what what i hope everyone gets out of it is that they don't see this as just like a flash in the pan that this gives them information inspiration and like confidence to these are making these are making fundamental changes that are going to kind of be ongoing like i don't want people to do things differently for the eight weeks while they're on the course and then just go back to their old ways like if that's the case i've failed but that's not how i've written the course that's not how i've created it it's like to initiate that change that curiosity like oh i didn't know that these things were connected like oh wow now i know that that's going to change my approach to it so that's what i hope people take away from it cool i'm very interested (laughs) and what do you think of the food in ibiza i think look there's some great sides to it there's some poor sides to it i think we're quite it's interesting we live on a small island so we've kind of in a way we're quite limited in what's available in the supermarkets but we've also got an amazing 
array of farming farming that's producing like a lot of produce and i think there's some fascinating projects like the Ibiza Food, um, the Ibiza Preservation Fund kind of supported programme, which is really looking at how do we rally all those producers on the island and kind of get them in front of, get them in front of consumers. So, you know, I think there's there's a long way to go, but I know there's some great um, projects and great visions in terms of making the island a lot more sustainable and actually the food we can produce here is pretty impressive i agree it just always makes me laugh though that the spanish kind of you know fare for breakfast is like tostada and orange juice and a coffee and it's just like if i threw that combo of things into my tummy first thing in the morning you know we're, we're talking seriously major fireworks yeah yeah well but you know if you look at you take bread for example like that bread that's produced naturally produced in a more authentic way and has got fewer kind of fake ingredients in it probably most people are going to tolerate that a lot better than your kind of crusty white loaf that is produced with a lot of chemicals or your sort of sandwich loaf that's going to be produced with a lot of chemicals in it so while I'm not maybe advocating that tostada you know there's actually it's probably not as not as bad if you look at how the how the food is actually produced and you know, just served with some olive oil actually maybe that maybe that works for some people but no it wouldn't it wouldn't work for me what do you eat for breakfast what do you break your fast with usually uh it varies but i can't my eggs eggs vegetables and some rye bread would be kind of my is a is a full is a fallback I did my braised leeks with eggs and uh, and a uh, very dark rye bread this morning. I think I'm just going to invite myself around for brunch quite soon. Okay. <laughs> and talking of which, we've got to go because we've got to go to Trisha's 50th birthday party, who's a previous podcast guest. Our favourite <laughs> Kundalini teacher on this island is turning the big five o, and basically we've got to get there for cocktails at five o'clock, so we kind of need to get our skates on. We do. We sure do. Thank you so much for talking to us here on the Reset Rebel podcast. And if people want to find out a little bit more about this course, how do they do that? Because it's basically like a, almost like a thousand pounds worth of a course that you're basically discounting heavily for the first group. Yes, I'm going to, the first group will be 190 pounds. And then there'll be a second group that starts um, sort of probably beginning of, beginning of April, which I haven't quite set the price for, but it'd be around about 300. But if people want to do the first group, that starts on the 25th of February, but there's any kind of limited spaces on that. Best, best is to email me at aw at angelawalkernutrition.com. Sweet. Well, reserve me a place. I'm in. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. Reserveable. It's the Reset Rebel It's the Reset Rebel